Good morning, beautiful people. Hi. So I'm Reverend Rebecca Savage. I'm the Associate Minister at the UU Congregation in Rockville. And I have to say this is a particular joy this morning. Not only is your minister, Carl, at my congregation in Rockville. We did a little pulpit swap. Kind of fun. Uh, but I grew up at the River Road UU Congregation in Bethesda. And this is my first time being here. Which is kind of embarrassing. So. It is a true joy to behold your space. So I see some familiar faces and some familiar hearts, and thank you so much for the warm welcome here this morning. Um, I might steal your labyrinth. Don't be surprised. So you may have read my bio. You may have not. I was raised UU here in Maryland, went off to college, went off to seminary, and then I joined the Army. So I'm probably the only minister to walk up to the pulpit with a U.S. Armed Forces portfolio. But I shall start in traditional UU fashion with a reading from the book of Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) The caterpillar and Alice looked at each other for some time in silence. At last, the caterpillar took the hookah out of its mouth and addressed her in a languid, sleepy voice. Who... Are you, said the caterpillar. This is not an encouraging opening for a conversation, Alice replied rather shyly. I, I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least I knew who I was when I got up this morning. But I think I must have changed several times since then. <laughs> what do you mean by that? said the caterpillar sternly. Explain yourself. I can't explain myself, I'm afraid, sir, said Alice, because I'm not myself, you see. I don't see, said the caterpillar. I'm afraid I can't put it much more clearly, Alice replied very politely, for I can't understand it myself, To begin with, and being so many different sizes in one day is very confusing. It isn't, said the caterpillar. Well, Alice replied, perhaps you haven't found so yet, but when you turn into a chrysalis, you will someday, you know. And then after that, into a butterfly, I think you'll feel a bit queer, won't you? Not a bit said the caterpillar. Well, perhaps your feelings may be different, said Alice. All I know is it would feel very queer to me. You, said the caterpillar contemptuously. You, who are you? We begin this morning with the theological musings of an oversized hookah-smoking caterpillar, spouting wisdom as ancient as time. The caterpillar asks Alice a few times, Who are you? And Alice responds by where she's been and what sizes she has morphed into, and finding herself a bit befuddled is ultimately unable to answer this question. 
In an attempt to refocus the conversation, she points back to the caterpillar's natural progression in the world, attempting to draw similarities to her own transfiguration. The sage caterpillar is unfazed. It's not confusing. It doesn't appear queer to him. The bodhisattva upon the mushroom knows who he is at his essence and therefore asks Alice again, who are you? So let us ponder this question for a moment, that eternal search in the spirit of our UU principle of the true and responsible search for truth and meaning. So, y'all, if you've seen me preach before, you know that I prefer to be a bit interactive. So call out as you feel it. How would you answer that question in one or two words? Who are you? Love. Oh, see, I love you, use. <laughs> okay, there's my sermon. Go home. <laughs> what else? Infinite. Love, infinite. What else? Understanding. I hold your grief in my heart. What else? Aware. Curious. Yes. Creative. Connection. Passion. Light. How about our identities? How would you identify yourself by your identity? Say that again. Caregiver. Yes. What else? Growing. Aren't we all? There are a variety of ways that we answer this question. And I was at a UU clergy renewal retreat this weekend, and one of the exercises we did, the minister who was leading, uh, he was a guest to us, and so he asked, who am I? Which is rather interesting when you know absolutely nothing of the person. All you can go on is sort of the bits and pieces that you've picked up. But it's also a lot of projections. And one of the things that we came to is the assumptions that a lot of people had made, 90% of them were dead wrong. Who are we continues to change, to strive. And I'm reminded as we reflect on this the role of the beloved community, that we come together in worship to remember who we are as Unitarian Universalists. I feel that even after a lifetime of being Unitarian Universalist, ask me today what I believe, it'll be different from next week. It was different from what I would say last year, and it'll be different again in 10 years. But in asking that question, who am I? Who are we? We are people of faith. A progressive faith that strives to live out our shared principles in our daily lives as a covenanted people. A covenanted people means that not only are we connected by heart, but also by soul and intention. This morning you heard a reading by the Reverend Olympia Brown, who was the first woman to be ordained by the Universalists in, anyone want to guess? I won't drop a dime. I won't point fingers to any newly ordained folks. 1880, very close. Oh, so close. (laughs) 
Do I hear 1878? <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Olympia Brown was ordained in 1863. 1863. She was a contemporary of Susan B. Anthony, and who also similarly devoted tremendous efforts towards women's rights to vote in 1920 with the ratification of the 19th Amendment and became part of the first women who are able to vote. Faced with discrimination and challenges all her life, Reverend Brown still emphasized the aspirational nature of universalism, of stand by this faith, work for it, and sacrifice for it. So we return to this question, who are you? Olympia Brown knew who she was, knew who she was despite being told You shouldn't go to seminary. You shouldn't pursue academia because you wouldn't understand. She fought to be educated. Despite being told that women weren't called to the ministry, I didn't get that memo. She asserted her calling into our movement. Despite decades of women not having the right to vote, she used her oratory gifts to inspire women and allies to agitate for change. Olympia Brown knew of her vocation. Her faith pervaded every step in her journey. Now stay stay with me for a moment when I read some of her writing because she is a brilliant thinker. She wisely penned, Fortuitous circumstances constitute the souls that shape the majority of human lives. And the hasty impress of an accident is too often regarded as the relentless decree of an all-ordaining fate. Did you get that, beloveds? What is Reverend Olympia Brown saying here? She's saying that too often we take as what may be our given circumstances in our lives as an unquestioned fate. When we are often called to something greater, something bolder, something new, beyond our wildest or even the wildest dreams of those around us. So who are you? This question, this question is vitally important now, not only in a world as we commit ourselves to serving in the cause of justice and social transformation, offering sanctuary to those who would seek safe harbor in our midst, perpetuating resistance as a spiritual discipline, as our hearts break again and again, as we dare to watch the news and to read the newspaper with an open heart. This question is vitally important now. Who are we? As we consider who do we belong to and whose are ours to call into our beloved community. 
Ultimately, this is a political reality of what's happening outside of our congregations, but also an internal reality in the depths of our being, inwardly and outwardly. So we're not quite an evangelizing people, right? Anyone grow up in a Christian tradition? That, that was kind of a big deal from what I understand. We're not an evangelizing people. Similar, though, we remind ourselves of the word of St. Francis of Assisi, who wrote, and he told of his disciples, wherever you may go, preach. Wherever you may go, preach. And use words if necessary. Or call. So St. Francis of Assisi said, wherever you may go, preach and use words if necessary. We live our faith in the world as an orientation of our hearts and our spirits. Part of the retreat that I attended this weekend was a reflection of the spiritual practice in our lives. So I invite you first to think about the covenants that you've created Where is your theology in the world? If you were to take a moment and think of your elevator speech, have you heard elevator speech? It's that, so what is a Unitarian Universalist? I won't point anyone out. If you are in my congregation, I might. What is it to be a Unitarian Universalist for you? So what is that elevator speech and what are your spiritual practices that support that vision and way of being in the world? And that is going to look, I say, if you ask 10 UUs what their spiritual life looks like, you'll get 100 different answers. That's why we come together and worship. But it's how we treat each other that is part of that spiritual discipline of living out our call in the world. How we treat our neighbors, our beloveds, our coworkers, how we drive in traffic, how we respond to hardships. So as I mentioned, I, uh, after my ordination in 2003 as Unitarian Universalist minister, I joined the army as an army chaplain. And as a military chaplain, first 12 years of my ordination were served on mostly active duty. Um, only 3% of the chaplains are female. And like, I can count on two hands, maybe one hand, how many Army UU chaplains there are. So when we make friendships and build collegial relationships, it's often across denominational religious and faith traditions. One of my dear friends is an LDS, uh, Latter-day Saints. He's a Mormon chaplain, and we've, we've bonded here. He's one of my battle buddies, and he told me this story one day. So when my chaplain friend was downrange in Afghanistan with a group of Marines, it was an austere combat environment. I may rock heels most of the time because I'm used to combat boots. So austere combat environment means... No running water. Food comes in a bag. We sleep in tents, dirt, filth, dust. We say funk is everywhere. Long hours and nonstop work, probably about 22 hours a day. And oh yeah, people are shooting at you and trying to blow you up. 
So my colleague decided on a lark to bring a pair of clippers so he could at least keep his hair neat. They're those little small luxuries that we enjoy in the fields. And he started doing haircuts for fellow Marines. It was at first only an hour a week. Everyone knew that he had clippers because he had a nice haircut. And then anyone else who had a nice haircut said, hey, where'd you get a haircut? Go see the chaplain. And then the next month, it was twice a week. And the next month, it grew and grew this haircut ministry, so to speak. And my chaplain friend, after a particularly long week, he dragged himself beyond tired, drained of all energy to cut hair yet again. And a young Marine came in to his tent and sat down, stinking to high heaven, dirtier than all get out. Nathan, my chaplain colleague friend, looked at him and remembered the simple gift that he was about to offer. And he felt better. As a chaplain, he could just take a moment, lay a hand on a weary shoulder, and say, hey, how are you doing today? A moment of kindness, a moment of compassion, to talk to him, this young Marine, about his life. Did you call home? Have you gotten any mail? Did you get a care package yet? Part of the chaplain's responsibility is to remind our service members of their humanity. The fact that they have a family, they have those who love them, and they are cared for. But what transformed in this moment for him, this chaplain, as he told me the story with tears in his eyes, is that when he grabbed the clippers, he put oil on the blades And in some religious traditions, there's a tradition of spiritual practice of anointing a head with oil. So the chaplain put the oil on the blades to cut this Marine's hair because it was so greasy and dirty. But in this chaplain's tradition, it was also a moment of blessing, a moment to put prayers in his hands and touch this Marine And the chaplain reconnected with who he was in that moment, a humble servant, a humble, faithful servant, a person of great faith, embodying the holy and the sacred in his daily life. By the end of that story, the chaplain and I both were in tears. And it reminded me as a way of being in the world is to embody our faith, stand by this faith, work for it and sacrifice for it, also means to shine the light of what this faith means in the world. So who are you, my dear beloveds? Does the legacy of our brave forefathers and foremothers like Olympia Brown touch your heart? Or the compassion of a chaplain downrange? Or are you like Alice? Are you like Alice trying to find your place in this strange world that sometimes feels upside down?
Or are you the caterpillar? Wise and content, smoking hookah and offering mischief and advice along the way. Or in true UU fashion, are you somewhere all in between? Who are we as Unitarian Universalists? I ask you to sit with that question this day. As we remember the words of Reverend Olympia Brown, what does it mean to stand by this faith, to live this faith in the world? When it's easy, it can be easy to love. It can also be very hard to love. So if you're hard-pressed to rattle off a pre-packaged statement of identity and vocation as you, you, you're not alone and that's okay. We consider the ways in which this inward query is also affirming a thousand percent times over that we are a covenanted people. A beloved once said to me, it's impossible to be Unitarian Universalists in isolation. We need to be in community to live out our faith in the world. You belong here. You belong here to be encircled by this faith, charged by this faith, embraced by the warm embrace and compassion of our kin to your left and your right. So I ask you as you ponder this question and seek the words that resonate in your heart, that reflect your gifts and your calling, your way of being in the world. I know in the deep caves of my heart that we are all better for it. So I shall ask you this again. Who are you? And how shall you proclaim without words in the world what it means to be? Amen. Blessed be. And may it be so.